BC does not want a pipeline and it's not in the national interest. We need to wake up and be more realistic. Two mass protests on the controversial Trans Mountain Pipeline, both sides getting out to get their voices heard. It's scary, it's close to home. Another targeted shooting in Surrey. Police identify the 23-year-old dead man and say he was known to them. You were right beside me, weren't you? Come here, buddy. I haven't congratulated, but... And special honours for the Cowichan Bay rescuers who helped a little girl trapped on an out-of-control boat. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Dueling protests, thousands opposed to the expansion of the Trans Mountain Pipeline showing up in Burnaby to voice their opposition, while those in support of the controversial energy project holding a rally of their own. Good evening and thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we start tonight with news of those two big protests, both over the Kinder Morgan Pipeline expansion project. The first in Burnaby involving thousands of people all against the pipeline expanding. Our Nadia Stewart has been with the protesters all day. Nadia? Yeah, and there are still uh, folks here at the site where they rallied earlier today. You can see the tents uh, set up behind me. Some people will be spending the night here. Thousands were here earlier today in the wake of Friday's court injunction. Today seemed to be about making a very loud and public statement. They came by the thousands. Peaceful protesters who say they're angry. It's come to this. BC does not want a pipeline and it's not in the national interest. I think that this is a big mistake and I'm here because I have kids and I want my grandkids to have BC to enjoy. And everywhere there were signs making clear the frustration, the fears and the political fallout. I worked on Trudeau's campaign because he seemed like the best possible environmental choice and he has betrayed the province of BC even though he was a teacher here. He's betrayed his children. Kinder Morgan's going to appeal. Doesn't matter, we'll win at Supreme Court too. This protest coming just a day after a temporary B.C. Supreme Court injunction was granted to Kinder Morgan, barring protesters from coming within 50 metres of the worksite in an effort to stop them from inhibiting the National Energy Board-approved Trans Mountain Pipeline. Those marching today walking right past the injunction zone, one Vancouver City Councillor saying moves like that only strengthen their resolve. Everybody seems to be more on that path of recognizing this is a turning point in our planet's history. We cannot be drilling out more bitumen, more oil, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions and give a, our, our children a safe future. And by the looks of this so-called watchtower, those here are in it for the long haul. Uh, now, there is a question about uh, that house that was uh, built this afternoon and whether or not it will be allowed to remain there. Of course, we will be putting those questions to the city of Burnaby. Back to you. All right, Nadia, thank you very much for that. Well, the other big protest involving supporters to the pipeline project, that was at Vancouver's Jackpool Plaza this afternoon. Our Paul Johnson covering that part of the story for us tonight. Paul? Sonia, the people you saw in that first demonstration are the ones who tend to make all the noise and get in the headlines. But of course, there's another side to this as well. These folks describe themselves as the silent majority. 
and they say we need to pay attention to them as well. How about yes for a change? This is the side of the pipeline debate you probably hear about less, mainly because they don't turn out by the thousands. They certainly don't chain themselves to fences and such, and they don't hang out with people who do. You've got to speak up. And they've got their own persuasive arguments in support of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. One, that BC's First Nations are far from being completely opposed to the project. Ellis Ross is a former chief counselor for the Heisla Nation, an MLA for Skeena. You're going to see your taxes go up. The more that people and governments oppose research development that brings in revenue to pay for the services, they got to pay for it sometime. They also want to point out, reliance on oil isn't going away tomorrow. And if Canada's oil stays landlocked, the market will get supplied by countries that may not share our values. Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, and Venezuela, if you're gay, they'll kill you, they'll cut off your head, they'll throw you off a building. So, I mean, we need to wake up and be more realistic. Canadian oil is already cutting edge. But today's dueling rallies may be about more than just oil. They're also about the culture clash that fuels our politics. Uh, I work as a roughneck in a service rig. Check out what Bernard Hancock has to say. He's a North Vancouver boy who's been making his living in the oil sands. Well, I think there's a deep-seated left-wing advocacy in this province. This existed for a long time, and that's all fair and good, but in times past, the NDP, they'd stick up for the working class. I mean, it was started as a party to represent working-class people, but now it's shifted to the activism side of it, to the university professors and the college kids, to the people with government jobs, not to the working class people. Interesting take on B.C. politics. They had a figure at this demonstration that they were talking about today. They say each day that goes by where Alberta is not able to get its oil to overseas markets, they say Canada loses out on $43 million of revenue. Sonia? All right, Paul, thank you very much for that. This story definitely not going to go away for a while. A Delta man identified as the victim of Metro Vancouver's latest fatal shooting. 23-year-old Pradeep Brar was uh, gunned down around 7 o'clock last night in the 6700 block of 137 A Street in Newton. He died in hospital after Surrey RCMP found him on the street with gunshot wounds. Brar was known to police. His murder is believed to be a targeted hit linked to gang violence. A white SUV and black sedan was seen leaving the scene after the shooting. Right now we don't have suspects. Um, it's still very early in the investigation. If you were in the area or know anything about this incident, please reach out, contact IHIT and speak with our investigators. Help us solve this murder. It's scary. It's close to home. Uh, there's a lot of kids in the neighborhood. There's a lot of schools, so it's... Three years ago, Pradeep Brar was one of five young men named on a list released by Surrey RCMP describing the persons of interest in four shootings. In Victoria, the RCMP have been called in to investigate a death. Officers were called to deal with a disturbance early morning at a home on Hillside and Belmont Avenues. They found a male who had died there. The Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crime Unit and Coroner's Service now both investigating. They're not saying anything about what might have happened, but there are unconfirmed reports that a man was stabbed. Firefighters in Vancouver were dealing with a two-alarm fire in Vancouver today. Yeah, 
crews were called to an empty home in the 4600 block of Canby this afternoon and had to fight this from the outside. No word yet on what might have caused this or if anybody was hurt. Vancouver police are searching for a sex offender wanted on a Canada-wide warrant. 47-year-old Stanley Porter has a criminal history dating back more than two decades. He's been convicted of sexual assault and sexual interference. Police say he failed to make curfew at his Vancouver halfway house. While serving a 10-year long-term supervision order, Porter did go missing from his halfway house back in February of 2015. The VPD then having to issue a similar warning. If you do see him or know where he is, please do call 911 straight away. And the VPD also looking for this man. He's also wanted on a Canada-wide warrant. 42-year-old Kevin Jerome Holden is accused of failing to return for his curfew at a Vancouver halfway house. He's serving five years for a 2013 hostage-taking. He has 34 convictions for violence and property crimes. A man has several tattoos as well. If you see him, please do call 911 immediately. In the north of Okanagan, residents in Armstrong have been left in shock after a string of garage fires broke out in the early hours of this morning. Jules Knox of Global Okanagan reports on the damage so far and the concern that these fires could be suspicious. Nestled in a quiet neighborhood, these homes in Armstrong have been scorched. Fire crews called to Warner Avenue three times in two days. The homeowner here just happened to wake up and noticed what he thought was a light left on in the garage. When I opened the garage door from the inside of the house, that's when like, the whole room was full of smoke. Bob LeBaron grabbed a fire extinguisher, then watched as fire trucks whizzed past his house. Well, I hadn't phoned 911 yet. And then when I see the fire trucks go by and they're going to another fire down the road, I'm going, well, this didn't happen by itself. It gets worse. Neighbors say this was the second time in two days that fire trucks had been called to this home and nobody knows why it might have been targeted. You see them walking their dogs every day. They wave to everybody on the street. They stop to say hi. They're, they're the greatest people on the street. They're just devastated. They're both retired people, you know, and and it just, it's that, that you're in a quiet little community and this happens to you, and, and it's something intentional. LeBaron says he doused the blaze at his home with a fire extinguisher, but knows it could have been much worse. I, I'm lucky, you know, and I know that, you know. I it just, like I say, it's, it's not something I wish on anybody. No one was injured in any of the fires, but RCMP believe they are the work of an arsonist, and they're asking any residents who see suspicious behavior to report it immediately. Jules Knox, Global News, Armstrong. An arrest warrant has been issued for the suspect in a New Year's Eve shots fired incident on Vancouver Island. 26-year-old Ezra Polstein of Victoria is wanted for allegedly breaching his bail conditions. Uh, he's charged with 13 offences, including assault and unlawfully discharging a firearm in connection with a bizarre New Year's Eve incident in Souk. A couple's townhouse was trashed while they were away, and the RCMP say a rifle was fired four times during a domestic assault. Police believe that Polstein may be somewhere in Nanaimo. 
A 14-year-old boy has died after possibly drowning in a hot tub just outside of Golden. Paramedics were reportedly called to the Kicking Horse Mountain Resort yesterday. Police saying a teenager from Toronto was rushed to hospital but was later pronounced dead. Police say the death is not considered suspicious. The BC Coroner's Service now investigating. Still ahead tonight, Vancouver Island's Golden Girl returns. Cassie Sharp, who won big at the PyeongChang Olympics, comes back to Mount Washington, where it all started for her. And the rescuers who didn't think twice to help those thrown from a fishing boat, honoured today. Stay with us. Welcome back. Well, it was nearly a year ago. We told you about a dramatic rescue in the frigid waters off Vancouver Island. Three people were tossed into the water. A little girl left trapped on a fishing boat that was spinning out of control. Today, those who came to their rescue were recognized for being absolute heroes. Here's Julia Foy. As a piper played, three men from Cowichan Bay on Vancouver Island marched into the Vancouver Hotel Ballroom to be honoured for acts of bravery by the BC Life Saving Society. Cheering them on was the Volts family. It could have been a lot worse if it was half a minute later. One year ago, Simon Pitcock and his crew were returning from a day of whale watching when they noticed a small boat off in the distance that was spinning in circles and seemed to be in trouble. Getting closer, we realized it was a man holding up a two-year-old boy uh, in the water. He was treading water and holding him up. That man was Leander Volz and his two-year-old son, Remy. They'd been tossed out of their boat after part of the hull broke off. Every time the, the waves would come from the boat going around in a circle, the wake would crash over both of us, and uh, my main priority was him. Then the crew had to rescue Leander's brother, Gerald, who was in serious trouble. I knew right away. I knew that it was... Very short, no. Yeah, 100%. I already said I already said goodbye. He was almost going under and looked pretty hypothermic, and we managed to get to him just in time. If it had been two more minutes, I really think that one of those people may not have made it. But there was one more person to be rescued. And we all started yelling at the five-year-old girl to pull the red cord that shuts the motors off. And she was pretty, pretty hysterical at that point, a lot of crying and screaming. That girl was five-year-old Haley. I turned off the boat. Still to this day, we call her our little hero, and she saved the day. There were plenty of smiles and hugs as the family got to meet all of their rescuers for the first time. I think I recognize you, right? You were right beside me, weren't you? Come here, buddy. I haven't... Thanks, bud. We award silver medals for merit. Finally, it was time for the trio to be rewarded with two different medals. And no one was more excited than the Volts family. The fact that they knew what was unordinary and they went there... It's pretty great. It's definitely like uh, we had three guardian angels looking yeah. out over us for sure. Julia Foy, Global News. All right. It was the packed house at BC Place Stadium today, of course, for the World Rugby 7 Series. Yeah, it was a sold-out crowd, a lot of them dressing up in costume today. Uh, lots of games to catch, including the highly anticipated match between Canada and Australia. The games continue tomorrow. 
In the past two years, the tournament has drawn more than 136,000 fans over four days of competition. Last year alone, out-of-town spending estimated to have generated more than $24.5 million for the economy in B.C. Rugby Canada is also bidding for the rights to host the series from 2020 through to 2023. Yeah, and chances look pretty good then for that, maybe. Uh, I think so. I mean, I've talked to a lot of the players down there, and the, the Vancouver's, you know, they, I think there's 12 throughout the year, or somewhere okay. in there, 8 to 10 or 12, and uh, all around the world, all the great places in the world, and the Vancouver one, uh, the players say is one of the best. So hopefully that'll get them uh, to get uh, to keep uh, hosting it. So it is a, it's fun and you know, exactly. it's big for the economy. I too. love that rugby is so popular here. I do. All right, we'll talk about that in a mm-hmm. moment, uh, Barry, but beautiful day. It was great for those that were at the stadium, but generally fantastic for anyone who's Fantastic. The return for some sunshine, uh, dry conditions today. We'll see a very similar weather picture when we get in towards tomorrow. Look at some of our current temperatures across the province. Right now we're sitting at three degrees for areas near Kelowna, just below the freezing mark for the central interior near Prince George. Tofino, good evening to you with temperatures sitting at 8 degrees and Whistler at 3 degrees. We've got more sunshine. It'll be chilly for our overnight lows with the clear skies for many spots. One area, just a little blip in the forecast for the north. I'll have more on that, how long it will last, and we'll be into the double digits and potentially record-breaking temperatures. I'll have the timing coming up shortly. So yeah, exciting, good stuff. Brilliant. Thank you very much, everyone. And um, I guess you're going to update us on the rugby? Yeah, Canada's played two thrillers so far. They had a very tough pool with Australia and the USA. So we'll have highlights of both of those games. And the Whitecaps, I guess they're kind of kicked out of there with all the rugby going on on the road <laughs> in Houston. And uh, they played great again. Two for two now after another win. So we'll have highlights of that coming up as well. All right. Brilliant. Barry Navon up in a few minutes then. Plus, don't forget, change your clocks before you go to sleep tonight. Uh, still to come, some tips to make daylight saving time a little easier to handle, just in case it kind of freaks you out a little bit. <laughs> also, PC party members in Ontario waited all day to find out who their new leader is. Um, They're still kind of waiting. We'll explain that one to you in a few minutes as well. Well, it was a bizarre scene in Miami Beach. A woman riding a horse into a crowded dance club. The incident which saw the woman in her underwear arrive on a white horse to the packed nightclub did not go over well with police. The Mackay Lounge is under investigation now for possible animal cruelty and public safety issues after video of this stunt surfaced. The city also revoking the club's business license. A lot of questions tonight after an army veteran returned to a California treatment center yesterday and held three women hostage at gunpoint before killing them and himself. In Yonville, California, shock and sadness. This is a really difficult day. The community mourning the death of three mental health professionals who worked at the nation's largest home for military veterans. They live their lives selflessly to serve others, and in particular, to serve our veterans. They were excellent at what they do. Um, They will be sorely, sorely missed. All three died during an eight-hour hostage standoff Friday at the Pathway Home, a program that treats PTSD and combat veterans. Police say a veteran and former member of the program, Albert Wong, slipped into a meeting armed with a rifle. He had bullets around his waist, and other stuff in his jacket. After exchanging gunfire with police, Wong held the program's director, Christine Lober, and doctors Jennifer Golick and Jennifer Gonzalez hostage for hours. Larry Kamer's wife managed to escape. 
Well, they were having a staff meeting today. Um, it was a going away party for two of the employees. It was the last day. And in the midst of this gathering, this, this guy walked in. Unable to make contact with Wong, an FBI SWAT team stormed the room. They found him and his three hostages dead. Wong's legal guardians say he came back from his time in Afghanistan changed. The first week, he would sit on the sofa just staring, saying, I can't believe I'm in a safe place. They, like so many others, have few answers about why this happened. Chris Pallone, NBC News. The National Rifle Association has filed a lawsuit in response to a big move by a Florida politician. Governor Rick Scott signed sweeping new gun laws yesterday, laws giving schools the right to arm their teachers, raise the minimum age to buy a gun from 18 to 21, and extend the waiting period for long gun purchase. The NRA has filed a federal lawsuit now, saying the legislation violates the Second Amendment. High drama tonight in Ontario's Progressive Conservative Party leadership fight. A winner was meant to be announced today. That hasn't happened. More than 64,000 ballots were cast, but after four and a half hours of waiting, no winner announced. The crowd was sent home. Party officials saying a review of the 1,300 votes in question is underway now, and they do expect results soon, but no clear date has been given so far. Four candidates are all in the running to replace Patrick Brown, who resigned abruptly in late January amid allegations of sexual misconduct that he con consistently denied. Frightening moments for passengers on board a Montreal-bound plane after it was forced to make an emergency landing. The Porter Airlines flight from Halifax had to land at Fredericton International Airport earlier today. This is after a small electrical fire caused smoke to spread through the cabin. All 72 passengers and four crew members are safe. The blaze was put out before the plane landed. The TSB is now investigating. I was just resting um, and then kind of dozing and woke up to like like sharp electric shocks on my face and neck and there the light kind of like the running lights right by the window um, it had exploded um, and then there was like a whole bunch of smoke coming out of that. It was scary. I'm not gonna lie. I thought the plane something bad had happened, but um, there was a really bad like burning smell on the plane. It smelled like burnt hair. And things getting back to normal at Halifax Airport after a nor'easter made its way across Nova Scotia last night. Heavy snow, winds and freezing rain leaving thousands in the dark, also bringing flights to a standstill. Some passengers bound for sunny destinations were stuck on the runway for hours before being able to leave their plane. The weather clearing up, though. Flights now are back on. We were actually stuck on the runway for about five hours before they actually let us leave the plane. At that point, we were instructed to go to customer service and try to rebook our flights, which was an interesting experience to say the least. Uh, myself and a bunch of other passengers, families, solo travelers alike were sleeping in the airport last night. Now, most of us, of course, changing to daylight savings time this weekend, so you might want a few tips to get through the time change without becoming a zombie. Scientists at Vanderbilt University giving us some suggestions. They say go to bed about 15 minutes earlier tonight. Uh, resist sleeping all day on Sunday. That will make getting up on Monday even harder. So limit yourself to a short afternoon nap if you feel tired. Experts also recommending getting out in the sun if you can, because light can help regulate the body's internal clock. And talking of sunshine, Yvonne will be up with your weather forecast next. Apparently there's 
quite a bit of it on the way. Plus, a lost interview with O.J. Simpson airing this weekend, more than a decade after it was shelved. All right, before the break, uh, Yvonne, I was telling everybody how sunlight apparently can help us with the time change that's coming up. And we've got a lot of sunshine ahead, apparently. Yes, this will be great for our Sunday to round off the weekend. It was fantastic today, and we're going to see a pretty much a repeat day for tomorrow. And temperatures will be on the rise, even milder, as we look ahead towards our Monday. And I'll have those numbers in just a moment. A great shot of the sunset this evening. Current temperatures of the airport sitting at 5 degrees with a northwesterly wind. Light at this time at 11 kilometers per hour. Our high today was closer to 8 degrees, right where we should be for this time of the year, with the average sitting at 9, and a record on this day. 15 degrees was set back in 2005. A very happy birthday this evening to Ken Dimon from New Westminster celebrating 101, and a very happy birthday to Frida England from Gibson celebrating 107. So congratulations to you both, and I hope you've had a wonderful birthday. A back at some of the numbers as we get to the forecast. 5 was the high today for Kelowna. A Soyuz managed to climb into the double digits with 10, Similar for Victoria, Williams late today climbed up to 4 degrees and areas near the Peace topping out at 6 degrees. Current temperatures, West Van still sitting at 8, similar for Burnaby, areas near the airport and the water at 5 degrees. Twasson at 7, double digits for Pitt Meadows at 11. We'll continue to see the double digits tomorrow for inland sections and your current temperature for Chilliwack sitting at 8 degrees. For same for Victoria and areas near Powell River currently sitting at 5. Satellite and re- radar... We can see that ridge of high pressure remaining the dominant feature. Central and southern half of the province will continue to see sunshine and dry conditions. The one blip, however, is for the northern half of the province. We'll continue to see it unsettled tomorrow with a chance of showers, a mainly cloudy sky, and then more moisture does start to push in, and that'll be on Monday for most areas across the north coast. We'll still continue to see a dry day for the southern half of the province. Upper-level chart as we put it into place. Sunday, Monday, plenty of sunshine. A change once again will be on our Tuesday where we will see the return for some wet weather and rain. The peace tomorrow up to 8 degrees. Next three days remaining dry and well above your average for this time of the year that sits at the freezing mark. White horse up to 5 degrees. A gusty wind up to 50 kilometers per hour. It's the northern half of the province. Coastal sections unsettled tomorrow. The bulk of the moisture and heavier rain is going to push in on Monday. Caribou and Central Interior at 7 degrees tomorrow, 14 on Tuesday. Your average for this time of the year sits at 4, so 10 degrees above that. Columbia and Kootenai region up to 10 with a mainly sunny sky for tomorrow. The Thompson Okanagan seeing that range between 9 and then up to 13 degrees. A mainly sunny sky tomorrow. Whistler up to 11 degrees, 14 Monday. Showers developing uh, once again on your Tuesday and across the island, we've got two more sunny days. A change will be on the way for our Tuesday and we'll see that across the south coast. We're dipping down to two overnight, so it is going to be chilly. A mainly sunny sky tomorrow. Range in temperatures inland up to 16, potentially 19 for our Monday. Tuesday onwards, it's unsettled. We'll have that rain pushing in. Enjoy the next two days. And a reminder tomorrow, make sure you set that clock ahead of time. One hour before you go to bed tonight. Sonia? Good advice. Thanks very much for that, Yvonne. All right. O.J. Simpson is back in the headlines again for an old interview that was recorded 12 years ago but never actually aired. Tomorrow night, Fox is planning to show the controversial interview where Simpson gives a hypothetical explanation for the murders he was acquitted of. In 2006, O.J. Simpson gave a no-holds-barred interview. Fox calls the special O.J. Simpson, the lost confession, with a question mark. I remember I grabbed a knife. I do remember that portion. 
wear the bloody clothes, so somebody had to get rid of the bloody clothes. Taped in 2006, the ex-football star was asked to speculate about what might have happened in 1994 when his ex-wife Nicole Brown and her friend Ron Goldman were murdered. First of all, this is very difficult for me to do this. Uh, It was very difficult for me because it's hypothetical. I know and I accept the fact that people are going to feel whatever way they're going to (laughs) feel. Simpson has always proclaimed his innocence. If it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And during his criminal trial was found not guilty. But he later recorded the interview and detailed what he called a hypothetical account of the crime to promote his book, If I Did It. At one point, he discussed going to his ex-wife's house with a so-called friend named Charlie. Charlie (laughs) came by and mentioned something about what was going on at her house. I don't know why you had been by the Cole's house, but it told me you wouldn't believe what's going on over there. After a huge public outcry, the interview never aired and the book was shelved, with the rights later given to the Goldman family, who released it under the title, If I Did It, Confessions of the Killer. Since then, Simpson served nine years behind bars for a botched armed robbery. I basically have spent a conflict-free life. Released in October, he has been living in Las Vegas. Simpson's attorney, Malcolm Laverne, says his famous client won't be watching the interview this weekend and has no strong feelings about it airing. It is not to be considered in any way to be taken as truth. It is certainly not a confession of any kind. Ron Goldman's sister, Kim, tells Extra she will watch. And if it's really uh, anything like what we believe the If I Did a Book to be, and that was what we think is his confession, then sure, yes. let the world see that. All right, we will switch focus to sports next. An exciting match between Canada and Australia at the Rugby Sevens. Find out what happened with Barry next. Plus, our golden girl Cassie Sharp has been celebrating her Olympic victory with a hometown crowd today. See you back here in a Monday, gas pump shock. The pump was still charging me. I was not receiving any fuel. A warning for drivers. I can't believe what I am seeing. How can this happen twice? Once is too many, twice is definitely too many. Consumer Matters, Monday on Global News Hour at 6. Giant moves. Giant shots. Giant hits. And all the giant action on Global News Sports. All right, welcome back. We are going to start with rugby. I love rugby, by the way. Well, it's, it's really neat. How, I mean, it's just like the, the, the game and the tournament are kind of the same. It's fast. Yes. It, come, it blows into town. People are all excited about it. We don't necessarily pay a lot of attention after they're gone. But while they're here, it is fun. And it kind of just kind of takes the town by the throat. I love it. Big buzz. All right. Thanks so much, Sonia. Yeah, coming into this weekend... Canada's teams had a bit of a miserable time on the HSBC 7th Circuit this year. They've had some injuries that have led to some poor results, but they played better last week at the tournament in Vegas, and Canada felt with home field advantage at BC Place, they could elevate their game to compete for the Cup and give their loyal fans a big thrill. They had a tough draw, though. Fourth-ranked Australia in their opener, but exuberant red and white clad crowd, 36,000-plus. At BC Place, first half, Aussies up 7-0, but Richmond's Nathan Hirayama, second effort there, gets across for the try, tied at 7-7. And then in the first half extra time, another BC boy, Duncan's Pat Kay with the quick attack, and he gets in for the try. They missed the conversion, but they led 12-7 at the half. The Aussies, one of the best in the world. Second half, Australia leading 19-12, but Canada, one last chance, 
Hirayama to John Moonlight, who was the hero a couple years ago against France. And the Canadian captain, Moonlight, sees daylight and he races in for the try. Canada with a huge result. They draw Australia 19-all. As mentioned, the Aussies rank number four in the world standings right now. So next up, Canada took on the U.S. Americans won the Sevens Tournament in Vegas last week. They're a very speedy team. Second half, 21-14 USA. But Canada keeps coming. Such grit playing these top teams today. And once again, it's John Moonlight finding the way in. It's 21-all. Canada had a chance to win it at the death, but they gave up the ball deep in U.S. territory. And then this happens. As the Americans break Canadian hearts, Kevin Aaron Williams with a field-length dash, and the U.S. wins at 28-21. So now Canada has to beat Uruguay by a bunch and hope the Aussies lose to the U.S. Then it'll come down to point differential to see if Canada makes it to the championship side of the draw tomorrow. Canada and Uruguay start in just a few minutes' time. With BC Place full of rugby supporters, the Whitecaps took their act on the road this week to Houston. Whitecaps got off to a nice start last week, beating Montreal 2-1. Houston is a tougher opponent, and it's never an easy task winning on the road in the state of Texas. Caps have only done it once ever in their seven-year history, and that was in Dallas. They've never won before in Houston. This is Felipe, a Brazilian. They only like to call him by their first name. Acquired from New York Red Bulls for Tim Parker, getting his first white cap start, first half. Kai Kamara taken down in the box, and a penalty is awarded. Kamara's going to take it, and he is going to fire it in, and that's a milestone goal. His 100th MLS goal in his 300th career game. That's two goals in two matches for Kamara as a white cap. He was brought in to score goals, and he's doing his job. But late in the first half, Albert Elise will equalize. May have taken a bit of a deflection there off a cap defender. 1-1 at the half. Second half, though, the Whitecaps regain the lead, and it's Breck Shea, who scored in Houston last year, comes on as a sub. He's got those long legs going, and he finishes beautifully. 2-1 Vancouver. He came in as an injury sub for Marcel de Jong. 2-1 Vancouver, and that holds up thanks to the great save here by Stefan Marinovich of Andrew Wenger. Caps hold on. 2-1 final. They are a perfect two-for-two this young season. Also today in the MLS, Montreal Impact on the road in Columbus. Late in the match, Impact down 2-1, but Raheem Edwards is going to equalize with a smacking volley there. 2-2, but he goes from a hero to goat very quickly as he takes down the crew player in the box, penalty awarded. That was in stoppage time, so literally at the last breath, it's Yazi Zardes from the spot. He scores, and that was it as the crew win 3-2. Columbus is 2-0. The impact are 0-2. English Premiership, Manchester United and Liverpool. Second place on the line today at Old Trafford, 14th minute. Romelu Lukaku springs Marcus Rashford with the flick on, and Rashford thumps it in with his right boot. 1-0 the score, and then 10 minutes later, it's Rashford again, coolly finishing from about the same spot. United go on for the 2-1 win. They now lead Liverpool by five points in the race for second. Chelsea and Crystal Palace from Stamford Bridge, 25th minute. It's Willian cutting across and then bouncing one in off the post. 1-0 in favor of Chelsea. And then seven minutes later, the Blues get some help. Gabby Zapacosta with the shot goes in off defender Martin Kelly. 
Chelsea win it 2-1. They are still in fifth, but now only four points back of third place Liverpool. Still to come, we have new world champion curlers from Langley. And Canadian Corey Connors goes head-to-head with Tiger Woods in round three of the Valspar. Highlights when we come back. Welcome back. A year ago at this time, Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin won his first and only PGA Tour event, the Valspar Championship near Tampa Bay. This year, another Canadian, 26-year-old rookie Corey Connors, is in position to do the same thing. Although Connors has been vastly overshadowed big time by Tiger Woods, who is right in the mix to win his first PGA Tour event since 2013. Connors is from the small town uh, in Ontario, has led this tournament since... The opening round showed no signs of crumbling under the pressure. Birdied three of his first four holes, including this delicate downhiller on the fourth to stretch his lead to four shots. He did stumble a bit, made back-to-back bogeys, and then Tiger got hot. Pitches in for birdie here on the ninth. Big explosion from the record crowds following Eldrick around. Connors and Woods tied for the lead at minus seven, but Connors showed some good old Canadian grit. His approach at nine almost goes in for an eagle. Taps in for Birdie to go back up by a shot. Now back to Tiger at the tenth. Boy, his short game and putter have been good this week. Knocks that one down, and they're tied again at eight under par. Meanwhile, Englishman Justin Rose also making a run. Third shot on the par 5, 11th from 120 yards out. And that is a slam dunk eagle on the fly for Rose, who posts eight under par. Connors keeps coming on the 12th. Another ticklish downhiller. Little break. Reads it perfectly. Two-shot lead over Tiger and Rose. Every time it looked like Connors might falter, he would step on the gas and make a great shot. He played very well. Connors now from the bunker at 17. Splashes it out of there nicely. Showed no signs of nerves. And then he'll putt out for par at 18. A three under 68. Corey Connors continues to lead the way at the Valspar. One shot lead. He'll play in the final group with Justin Rose. Tiger will play in the second to last group with Brent Snedeker again. Adam Hadwin, by the way, is 28th at one under. Should be great theater tomorrow. World Junior Curling Championship from Scotland, Canada, represented by the Tyler Tardy Rink out of Langley. Sixth end, tight game. Scotland up 2-1, but Tardy with a nice shot there, gets it through, and will score three there. Canada leads 4-2, but it would end up going to an extra end, tied 5-5. Canada last rock, and Tardy cool under pressure again. Gentle tap back to score the point. And Canada, world junior champs, they are celebrating out in Langley today after a very impressive performance by the boys. Meanwhile, at the Briar in Regina, where I think that rink with one day love to play, the one-two page playoff game between defending champ Brad Gushu and his Team Canada rink against Ontario's John Epping. Winner goes to the final, loser gets Alberta in the semis, and they're midway through this one, two points there for Gushu in the second, and they lead 3-1, playing the sixth. It'll be a tough final month for Canucks fans as they watch their injury-riddled team play out the string yet again. Canucks are in Arizona tomorrow, a team that has crept to within six points of the Canucks. Arizona is currently last in the NHL, but the Canucks could certainly slide all the way back with six regulars out of the lineup. And if it improves their lottery chances, why not keep sliding? All right, NHL today, Winnipeg Jets at Philadelphia. Winnipeg on a four-game 
win streak. Flyers, though, looking good to make the playoffs in the East. They've got some offensive weapons, including Claude Giroux, who rips home his 24th. Flyers uh, would go up 2-0. Third period, Jets finally get one. It's Patrick Lyonnais. Who else? Another wicked snipe off the left wing. His 40th ties Alex Ovechkin for the lead league. 15 goals in his last 11, but it wasn't enough. Jets fall 2-1. Habs and Lightning from Tampa. Bolts lead the NHL with 98 points. Second period. Tied at one, and the Canadians on the break, and it's Alex Galchenyuk firing home to give the Habs the 2-1 lead. It stayed that way until late in the third. Turnover deep, Steven Stamkos. Quick hands to Nikita Kucherov, his 34th. Kucherov leads the NHL in scoring with 88 points. Shootout, and it's Kucherov one more time. Beats Antti Niemi for the game winner. Lightning hit the 100-point mark with a 3-2 shootout win over the Habs. And we've got the Pens and the Leafs for you. Toronto's dropped four in a row, all without Austin Matthews in the lineup, but they played better tonight. Nazem Kadri with the uh, deflection here. Off the foot and in. 2-0 Toronto after one. Second period. Leafs hadn't had a shot on goal for the first 11 and a half minutes. There's one, there's two, and on the rebound, it's Kadri for his second of the game, 25th of the year. 4-2 Leafs very late in the third. And at the Paralympics in Pyeongchang, Canada has won a fifth medal. It's a bronze in the women's Super G by Calgary's Alana Ramsey. So Canada now tied for first in total medals with the USA and Ukraine. Canada has a gold, a silver, and three bronze. That's it for sports. We're back with more after this. Here's a look at your snow report. Whistler, Blackcomb with a base of 304. Grouse, 445. Cypress, 428. And Sasquatch, 413. Revelstoke with a base of 271. Manning Park, 225. Powder King, 281. And Mount Washington, 243. Big White with a base of 325. Silver Star, 215. Sun Peaks, 242. And Apex, 295. All right, just enough time to tell you about the Canucks taking the time before the game last night to tip their hats to some members of Canada's Olympic team. We are honoured to have at tonight's game members of our 2018 Canadian Winter Olympic team. That's a nice move. Four-time Olympic snowboarder Mercedes Nickel, silver medalist in women's hockey in Vancouver police officer Megan Acosta, as well as gold medalist figure skater Patrick Chan, all getting some recognition before the showdown between Vancouver and the Minnesota Wild. And also a great homecoming today for Vancouver Island's golden girl Cassie Sharp. She won a gold medal in halfpipe at last month's Olympics in Pyeongchang. Well, today, uh, lots of celebrations going on for her on Mount Washington, where for her... It all started. Here's Kristen Robinson. Please welcome Cassie Sharp, gold medal Olympian, back to Mount Washington. 25-year-old Cassie Sharp returning to where it all began after realizing her dreams in Pyeongchang. There's a couple kids here that came up to me and said, I'm going to win an Olympic gold. I said, you do it because I came from here too and you can. It's here. <laughs> yeah. Sharp bringing her gold home to Mount Washington, the hill she grew up on. Her dad worked at the resort and she started skiing here at age six, moving on to hone her halfpipe skills and jumps, sometimes breaking the rules to achieve her goals. When people told me I couldn't do what I wanted to do and I, and I couldn't push to win a gold medal, it was always just to push past the people that 
aren't maybe supportive of your dream and just go out and do it. And she did, becoming the first Canadian women's ski halfpipe Olympic gold medalist. One, two, three, woo! Her first snow since winning gold, flying the flag with Mount Washington's future Olympians. It's super cool to be back here. And everyone that just joined in on that run, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. I loved it. We would like to rename Gold for Gold to Cassie's Gold. Now Cassie's Gold, the old go for gold is where Sharp launched her first freestyle tricks. I actually landed my first double backflip on go for gold. So pretty cool. Really, really cool, you guys. She grew up on this mountain. She grew up skiing here. She grew up uh, doing the runs here. Uh, she grew up in the train park with her brothers. Kristen Robinson, Global News. She it's seems that. lovely, doesn't she? She's so down to yeah, earth. I love the attitudes of a lot of the, uh, you know, the snowboarders and the ski cross kind mm-hmm. of Olympic athletes. Much more chill than a lot of the traditional athletes. Yeah. And I think that's why they do so well. She's fabulous. Don't forget to move your clocks an hour forwards tonight. I have an iPhone. I don't need to. I don't need to do. <laughs> Good night. That's taken away all of the. <laughs> that's taken away all of the problems, right? Like everyone's iPhone yeah, just changes on its own. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.